What's up, guys? Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week, we'll cover the topics most important to you, from marketing and selling your products to winning on social media and everything in between. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host, John Malecki, runs a full-time furniture company and its content site, JohnMalecki.com. Over the past few years, we've seen the value of bouncing ideas back and forth, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 20. Today, we're going to talk about making the most out of your efforts. As a business owner and a side hustler, you want to make sure what you're focusing on is most important to your business. And John and I are big believers in what they call the 80-20 rule. It's a method to show you what's truly driving your business, and it's going to help you focus on the vital few activities, clients, or products that make you the most money. So we're going to be talking about that today and how John and I use it in our businesses. What is up, John? Not much, dude. Absolutely love this topic. Um, it's It really does put a ton of responsibility on the business owner, so I'm stoked to be able to dig a little deeper and do some self-evaluation um, and give the people some of our own personal experiences when it comes to using the 8020. Yeah, dude. And it's based in statistics. So, you know, I love that. Love it. <laughs> Before we get started, uh, we do want to thank our new members over there on the MFP tribe, our new patron members. They joined over at patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And we had Modernist Maker and Brian Burrill. Thank you guys for joining. They're going to be able to enjoy some awesome rewards as well as our after show. If you'd like to check that out, you can go do that as well. So what you been doing this week, John? You know me, just punching another week in the face. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> Always gotta... punching faces. Yeah, it's what I do, dude. It's what I do. <laughs> um, I dropped the fine build this week on the cart uh, which was pretty cool. I've been working on that for a minute. And as you know, and anyone that follows me on Instagram knows, you know, it, it took a little bit. Um, that sometimes happens when you're working with sponsors. There's a lot of, a lot of people to confirm things, but finally got that out there, which is awesome. Um, and they're actually going to be giving away one of them at Fabtech. So if any of our listeners will be there, I will as well. I'm going to be down there with, um, with Lincoln Electric doing an on-site build. And uh, awesomely, you know, Fine's going to be down there auctioning off one of my carts. Um, so pretty pumped about that. I got the standard workshop flow going this week with um, a bunch of, bunch of walnut slabs. I got like six in the shop right now. Oh, yeah. um, so, so we're, we're all kinds of milling. Um, got my new Oneida dust collection system up, which is something I'm also stoked about. I'll have some content coming out on that bad boy. And then, uh, besides that, we got what, uh, we got Stafta who confirmed that, which is pretty sweet. And I believe you will be there as well. Correct. I will. I will. Sta- I have no clue what Stafta even stands for, but, but Stafta uh, safety tools and fasteners, something association, something like that. Yes, duly yes. awesome. Um, is, <laughs> and, and yeah, so we will be at Stafta, which uh, it's going to be in Austin, Texas. And John and I will actually be down there November 11th to the 13th. Uh, we'll have some things going on, obviously, down at the show. Um, is that a general admission show, John? I, I don't believe so. I believe you have to be part of a vendor group, but we're going to be able to, okay. I guess, showcase um, showcase you know some new products coming out with a few brands we work with and whatnot, and just get to hang out and and, and yeah, meet some of the other other people in the space. 
it's going to be cool. Uh, we might have an opportunity to do something that evening or, or sometime. So we will let you guys know. I know there's some events and other things. So, uh, but if we do do anything, if we do anything in the area, we'll we'll be sure to let you guys know. So if we have anybody over there, we'd love to to hang out if we have the opportunity. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I think it'll be cool. We might actually record a show, so that would be awesome. Man, grab some Bud Lights and some tacos and uh, just hammer Go. down on a show live. Yes. Live-ish, yeah. <laughs> Ish. Getting, so, getting a little bit a little bit weird with some hammered. Yes. I, yes. I actually want to challenge Brad to drink Bud Lights face-to-face while we record and just see how wild it can get. Who, who's I, in for that? I would Let smoke us. you. I'd get at least two before I was like, uh, bedtime. I am a dad <laughs> and I'm 40. <laughs> so, but yeah, so this week, uh, this week was, was pretty cool for me. I went straight up Spielberg. I was getting my my filmmaking chops going. I know I mentioned uh, about a month ago, I went and visited uh, the shop of Alf Sharp. He's he's just a master furniture maker here. He's actually local in Middle Tennessee. And um, I had the opportunity to go out there uh, in, in partnership with Powermatic. They hooked us up and uh, got to spend a day in his shop and just recorded a ton of film and a ton of b-roll and it was basically you know interview style and i put the first one together and have uh i will be releasing that which will, should be out by the time that this episode airs and uh it's, it's gonna be a three-part series and the first one is about telling his story about how he got into woodworking and it's it's really cool man it's a great story um alf is an awesome guy and it was really neat to be able just to to capture that try something new i mean obviously i've never done anything like that and so this is like straight up you know the the inspirational like low-key you know acoustic guitar and it's uh it's it's cool man it's something new and i'm i'm pretty excited about how it turned out actually yeah i actually was fortunate to get a little sneak preview and it's uh it's really cool to see your your editing skills come to light there um you keep your you keep your personal edits pretty simple for the sake of your audience and the type of content you produce. This was a little more cinematic and, and it's a lot of the stuff I learned in my YouTube class. So it's, it was, it's awesome. I'm stoked for everyone else to get to see it as well. So that's, that's a really cool piece, dude. It's uh congratulations and I'm excited to see the second and third part. Yeah, absolutely, man. That was, that was fun. So uh, today the 80, 20 rule, uh, some of you, we've actually talked about it on the show before, but we really want to dive in deep because as we were, just talking through the, you know, how we use our time most wisely. This kind of just kept coming up, and so we wanted to hit on it. Um, but it's also known as the Pareto principle, and that's where it's kind of rooted in statistics. So, just a down and dirty of what is the eighty twenty rule. So, if you think about it this way, uh, it's basically if you have a hundred. Let's just we're going to go with clients because we'll talk about this. If you had a hundred clients that you sold uh, products to over the course of a year or whatever. Uh, you, what you would say, if you looked at and you graphed, if you said, okay, for every client, I'm going to put how much money they gave me, how much money I made uh, on each of them. If you graphed out all of those 100 data points, what you're going to find is that in general, uh, you're going to make 80% of your money from 20% of your clients. And you'll hear this also talked about in, you know, in, in America, right? Like 1% of the people own 99% of the wealth. Um, it, it's that same concept. And so uh, it's, it's the law of the vital few. So talking about, you know, things that, 
that are really outweighed when you think about um, numerically what's driving your business. And you want to make sure that you're focusing on that. So I think that's what John and I really wanted to hit on is, is because you can use this and you can do it in a lot of different ways. So like that example that I just said, you can do it uh, maybe with the amount of money you get per clients. Um, you can also do it for activities. So looking at, you know, what are those things that make the biggest impact on your business? But uh, the key here is tying it back to what is actually driving your business and what is making you money, right? Because that's that's the whole goal. It's like you want to do more of what helps you make money and do less of the things that don't help you make money or that are a smaller portion. So making sure that you're uh, putting the right focus where it needs to be. Absolutely. And, and what's uh, ironic about the 80-20 principle is I didn't know the definition or like the terminology used and and calling it the, you know, the Pareto principle and whatnot until I got done with sports. And what's interesting about it is looking back on a lot of the um, important coaches that I was able to play for while I was playing, you know, they preach this all day long. They're, you know, and, and that's kind of how we wanted to, to, to spin this to you guys is you can apply the concept of 80-20 to, to almost anything you're doing um, when it comes to self-evaluation, whether it's your business or your skill set or, or whatever you want to put it to. So, you know, from from an athletic standpoint, um, you you you're constantly watching film. You're constantly looking at, um, you know, your performance uh, in, in, you know, the general sense of a day-to-day <laughs> evaluation. Uh, you put a play out there, you go run it, you go back, you watch it. What'd you do right? What'd you do wrong? What can you, what can you do better? So this kind of concept, you, you beat into your head, you know, okay, what skills am I good at? And over time, you develop, you know, that uh, top of your skill set in which you're able to perform at all the time. It's your go-to, say, if you're, you know, offensive lineman like I was, um, it's your go-to move to win. Um, but you have, you know, that 20 per, excuse me, that's your top 20% of skills that you can typically win with. Um, and then you have the 80% of everything else. What happens is you can tend to lose focus on the things you're not good at, that 80%. When it comes to skill sets. So for me, uh, coaches were always preaching this. They're like, you know, John, why are you trying to do something that you're just literally not good at? You know, like I was a smaller guy, shorter guy, short arms. Um, so, you know, for me, speed was a was a huge thing when it came to whatever I was doing. Um, I couldn't just muscle guys up. But if you saw it on film and I was out there, you know, wasting my time trying to muscle a dude when I just literally know that that skill is something that I'll never have because I wasn't stronger. I was a smaller guy. Um it, it became ironic when I was evaluating myself in business and I was evaluating my skill sets um, in woodworking and furniture making. I was like, man, this is just like going back and looking at game film when I was playing football. You know, you work on you take the 20 percent of what you're really good at and you put that out there consistently and then you work on the other 80 um, in football. It's more like 90, 10 or 95, 5 because you're you know, you don't really need to do the stuff you're not good at if you don't have to do it. But um, it was ironic once I learned the 80-20 principle on how I was able to apply it to what I've already done with my life. And I think a lot of us could do that. You look at things that you're good at, you probably do them more often. You know, if you're good at something, you're going to want to keep being good at it. So you're going to keep doing it. Um, and then you kind of let the other things fall to the side. What's funny here is when you apply it to business is <laughs> most of your business is going to be driven from the top. And then you're still going to be trying to do all these little not unnecessary kind of things on the in that 80 percent um, that are can essentially be evaluated as a waste of time. I think you hit on uh, a few good things there, John, as far as like, you know, not focusing on. And so we're just going to kind of break this down. But, you know, starting out of um, activities 
And so, you know, not doing things you're, you're not good at, um, is that if you look, so we did, you know, our whole time management and, and hopefully you guys have had a chance to go and, and kind of document some of the things that you're doing, uh, throughout the day and, and how long it takes. And so I think, you know, we focused on recording your time for a project. Um, but what I would also challenge you, I don't know if we, I can't recall if we did or not, but if you've not to really write, you know, what are you doing for the day? Um, not just like business oriented, but if you looked at your entire day or the time that you're focusing on your business, uh, of writing like the nitty gritty down. Okay. Well, yeah, I spent this time, much time on social media. I spent this much time <laughs> eating snacks, you know, getting, getting my, uh, wasabi almond nuts, which are amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had some of those before the podcast. Uh, and and looking at all those things and what you'll see, if you look at your activities, uh, and this is back to some, some lean principles as well, actually, is yep. that the amount of time you're actually adding value to your product or the amount of time that you're actually putting in solid work that's making you money uh, is very, very small. And that's the same thing, right? 20%. So when you look at it, it's like, okay, how can I eliminate that 80%? Like you said, John, you're wasting your time. Uh, any time that you are not making forward progress, uh, either on, you know, a relationship that's going to make you money. And, and that one is kind of, that one can be up in the air because you have to do it efficient. Like talking to clients, um, doesn't directly make you money. Like you're not really directly making money until you're making the product, but it is necessary. It is a necessary evil. So that like, that's something that you would classify in kind of like a, I'm, I'm kind of flexing into, into lean, <laughs> lean talk right now, but um, that, that would be like, uh, something that you need to run your business. But you look at those things like social media, uh, same type thing, but what are you wasting time on? Uh, you know, walking around the shop, looking for things that you can't find, right? Switching out, uh, you know, switching out blades or something like that is something that you have to do, but are you spending 30 minutes doing it because you don't know where your wrench is because you lost it the last time you did it and you spent 20 minutes looking for it and then you got distracted and got on your phone. <laughs> All those things that, uh, again, are not making you money. You can look at this. You can look at your activities and say, you know, what am I doing that's holding me back from actually doing the things that make me money and how can I address that? Yeah, and, and I think it's an important way to look at what you're doing in life, if you want to grow and get better, whatever it might be, you know, you want to be better, at whatever it is, you're going to be doing things that are completely wasting your time. So for instance, we talked about in our time management, um, episode, you know, uh, writing down what, what you're doing over the course of the day in, in an instance, um, if, if you do exactly that and you get like really down to, uh, the details of what you're doing, you'll find that like you spend a lot of time doing things that are useless. Um, I look at it, all the time because I'm, I'm constantly self-evaluating just out of habit and I'll see that like, okay, I spent 37 minutes doing the most useless things today. Like what would that be? Oh, you know, I was putting, putting spray bottles back into my lev rack, you know, like what, why did I do that? Well, cause they were all over the place. Okay. So why didn't I just do it immediately when I was done using it instead of having spray cans all over the floor? Something like stupid stuff like that. You can go all the way from, those little niche down principles to big picture type stuff too. So if you're, if you're using our block scheduling techniques, if you're using our time management techniques that we suggested, you'll see that like, if you, if you put a dollar sign to the actual um, actions that you have throughout the day, you can figure out where you're making most of your money. So for instance, in my stake, if I was to do an 80, 20 evaluation, which I 
I do about once a month of my business and where it stands right now, I would not be producing content and I would not be um, producing YouTube videos. Why? Well, my income, almost all of it comes from selling and producing furniture. So that is the whole process of, you know, customer acquisition all the way down to the final delivery of the product. That is where that 80% of my revenue, it's more like 90% of my revenue comes from. And it's from 10% of, uh, you know, where, where my time is allocated. <laughs> now, if you go into it, you know, where I'm doing how much other stuff during the day. Um, and, and all of that stuff, you, you can start to see where's the wasted time at and, and where is my focus at and where does it need to be? And I think what the 80, 20 principle does for myself is helps me find what I'm good at and what I can focus at and then how I can create a process in order to supplement the things I'm not good at. My business needs social media, right? It needs content. It needs the parts that I've built into it or it wouldn't function. Um, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for the content side of my business and me wanting to grow my business on Instagram and then me reaching out to you. If I never got into that, which I could look at as, you know, how is this making me money right now and, and throw it into that 80%, the whole business itself wouldn't function. Okay, so what am I good at in that is, okay, I'm good at growing an audience. How can I take that audience and then monetize it? And, and that takes real focus. So, okay, if I want to focus my time to say, growing my Instagram following, it's going to take time away from something else. So what the 80-20 evaluation does is it allows you to kind of segment and categorize where you're at and where your focus wants to be. And I think more than the 80-20 concept with this episode, where we wanted to be was was like talking about where to focus your time. Um, we just use this principle to get ourselves to that. Um, so, you know, by, by realizing that you're spending a lot of time doing all of the chaos that goes on with owning a business, you can really see, you know, what's making you money, what's making you happy and what's completely wasting your time. Right. I think one of the things that you're really good at, John, much to my chagrin sometimes, um, <laughs> is, is focusing on what's important, which is your furniture making, because, you know, there are times where you'd be like, you know, hey, dude, I can't like, we can't podcast. <laughs> like I got, I got an install, like, you know, the, the podcast days are not sacred for John because what is most important to him is his furniture business. And that is rightfully so, even though it irritates me sometimes because um, yeah. <laughs> I got to re rework my stuff. And, you know, I'm pretty open because um, I could flex all of my stuff around. So, you know, I, I help support him and, and that's fine. And we figure out other times. Um, but, you know, it's it's thinking about that in that way that uh, that I really like what you're saying there, John, is that even though John is doing all these things on social media, when he looks at his evaluation and he puts a dollar sign to, okay, how much money am I making off of Instagram? And, you know, you can kind of, again, tie that out to leads and, and things like that. So it's a little bit hairy in that sense of, of the tentacles that come from social media and marketing. Um, but what he knows is that what physically puts money in his pocket is when he shows up to somebody's office or studio or house with a product and they give him money or they give him the rest of the money or whatever, or they've, they've signed the contract already. That is what pays his bills. Now, you, again, you have to support that, but that's where he's going to put the most focus. Um, but I think the thing that is, is a really good point is that um, – that means that he has to take care of that first. That means that's his first priority. 
But there's all these ancillary things that kind of come down the the tail, if you will. So when you're thinking about the data and all the things that go out there in the 80%, you would call that kind of the, the long tail. So all those different things is that you have to spend time because the other thing is, is that some of those things that are out in the tail now might come up to the front later. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll take the podcast, for example. Um, you know, in the beginning, especially like before we started doing, before we really even got started, there was a lot of time and effort, like, right? We put a ton of time into this, John, right? Just from the very beginning of just planning, thinking of names, thinking of uh, the content, planning out the content, uh, writing the PDS, doing all these things, answering the questions, building the the Instagram following, um, which lead to absolutely zero dollars uh, for <laughs> us, right? <laughs> at, at the time. Yeah. But the whole idea was that, uh, and as we've shared with you guys, like we had a vision in our minds that we wanted to be able to provide value uh, and we wanted to be able to do things like products, like our pricing guide. And so now that's actually starting to pay us back. And now, you know, is is the pricing guide ever going to be larger than John's furniture business? No, absolutely not. But it's going to be larger than zero. And so, you know, as you start, uh, don't get stuck, I guess is where I'm going with this thing is, is that... Uh, you have to focus on what's important, but also there's the other piece of it. And, and I know, John, we'll talk about it a little bit more here and maybe you can jump into it is like, but don't get so focused that you're only looking at what you have that's most important to you and you're not looking at what's next because that's how you grow your business and that's how you expand and that's how you go to the next level. Yeah. And, and that's how I use the 80-20 principle. I know where most of my revenue is coming from. I know what if I really, really wanted to focus on, I should be. But I also understand the supplemental parts like you were just touching on that are in that long tail that can help um, grow the business in the future. So, you know, f- for me, for instance, uh, things that I'm not good at, um, I <laughs> I'm really not good at like answering emails. Like I'm really bad at like sitting down and crushing out emails for me. I just don't like it. I also hate ordering. I hate making phone calls. So like these are things that when I look at my 80, 20, I don't consider those as money makers for me. What I actually do to make money is close sales and then produce furniture. And that's how I make money. <laughs> so to focus, to see that and focus on those things I've been able to create processes in which I was able to hire Andrew, who's my new employee, and now he is supplementing the growth parts of the business, which are those aspects now so I can focus on that that uh, that A part, I guess, if you would go A and B, A with selling, B with producing, you know, he's producing, now I can focus, really focus on selling. Um, which is what I'm I'm really good at and which is the part I love is, you know, the interaction with the client and all the stuff we've talked about in the past. So but by doing an 80-20 evaluation and seeing like, OK, you know, sometimes Instagram goes in the back burner. Sometimes my content business goes in the back burner. Like you said, sometimes I got to put the podcast on a Friday instead of a Tuesday because I've got three installations and I got to drive, you know, two and a half hours north. That stuff happens. And that's because I'm able to look at my business and where I'm at and see what's actually making me money now. The, where that goes and what happens to literally every single one of us is distraction and we're all going to – we all fall into like that cool project or something that's <laughs> like uh, <laughs> just teases us enough that we're interested in it that it takes our attention away from what we're doing. Um, a lot of us you know, will get a phone call that somebody wants to do something awesome and then 
you get down to five hours of fact finding and discovery and realize that their budget's like eight bucks and they want you to (laughs) build them like a castle. So you have those instances where you realize like, crap, if I had a better process and I was able to evaluate the situation earlier, I wouldn't have wasted all that time doing this. So, you know, you look at what parts of your process make you money. You 80, 20 that, you know, okay, there's four questions that I can minimal. And this goes back to lean principles. I can minimally ask to see if this inquiry is going to be worth my time. So I don't have to waste time down the line. Um, and, and, do a bunch of stuff that's unnecessary on the quote. And that's just like a specific instance. Um, what I find with a lot of us is we, we do the 80, 20 evaluation and it could go down and and we'll, and we'll gear this conversation a little more towards like how I think (laughs) business books want you to use this is from your product and your client base. You know, we look at what we're doing and we could both probably segment out the type of product that we sell and what makes us the most money, what's most efficient to produce and where we should be focusing. Does it mean we actually do that? No. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd, if, if I was the 80-20, my business from a product standpoint, all I would do is make reclaimed wood furniture with metal bases and nothing else. It would be tabletops and metal bases and crank those things out until my eyeballs pop out of my head. From a selfish creative side of things, I don't want to do that. But if I was really, really trying to hone in and focus, I would take that design five pieces get those out there and start marketing them, take that product line, and that's what I would scale and grow. I know how efficiently and quickly I can do it, and that would be a very niche down 80-20 evaluation of my product line. But I want to do cool stuff that's fun and interesting for me. So I've, you know, I've had to take it on the chin because of that. And whether that comes down to the amount of money that I'm making or the time that I'm investing into something, you know, if you look at it, you have to eat that. And I'm fortunate that the other side of the business is able to sustain itself right now and make money in order for me to focus on things that are probably not as much money makers. But if you're looking at your product line, you know, you're able to see distinct things that you make more money on. You produce it faster, more efficiently, and you, you're able to like actually do those and not actually have to worry about it. You know, a lot of us will go through processes where we're doing custom client builds and that discovery phase is it's ridiculous. It just wastes so much time. Yeah. Then you get to the final product and you realize, oh, I quoted her 20 hours on this project and actually took me 70 because I had to drive back and forth through our house six times to take measurements. <laughs> and, you know, she wanted someone wanted this change and that change, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the, the, that stuff happens. And there's a reason that a lot of very big businesses don't do custom work. The, the 80-20 principle doesn't really apply. It, it makes it very difficult because you have that interaction and opportunities for wasted time or or yeah or time but I, or time that's not efficient but i think the custom side i think it's a a good point to play out a little bit is that um if you're only focusing on your main products and i've seen this happen uh plenty of times it's like okay yeah like i i can do this reclaimed coffee table base or this cutting board or this duck call or whatever and that's what sells. And so when they when somebody looks at that and they go, oh, wow, I've, I've got um, 10 items in my shop. Uh, these two are the only ones that are really selling and providing a great profit for me. Uh, and so I'm just going to focus down on those. And you just make more and more. And because it is your best seller, you the more you make, the more you sell. And then before long, like that's all you're doing 
And then the burnout comes, right? Because it's like, I don't want to make another duck call for the rest of my life. Or I don't want to, you know, make another uh, mallet or cutting board or whatever it is. And so um, it's interesting because I think there's a couple different kinds of people. Because I've also seen it where some people can dive into that and do dive into it. And then they just love it. And they just go and then they expand and they expand. and, And like you, so I think there's different ways you can do that to make sure that you know, as a as a handmade, let's say, you know, custom, right? You're you're not popping these out of a machine. You're doing them by hand. Um, that if you have a product that you're extremely successful in, uh, like John mentioned, you know, from his furniture business, is that at some point uh, you need leverage to grow to the next step, and so you need to start looking at can you bring in other resources? And, you know, John talked about hiring an employee. That's a great way to continue to focus and go deeper and get, you know, more and more out of your top 20% of your products without having to jeopardize the rest of your business and jeopardize uh, the planning and the new product development and all those things. So I think that's a really cool thing that people can look at um, if you have a product that I, I just, I've heard it so many times, like, oh man, I'm just so burned out of making these. I, I just, I don't want to make another dining table. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's your moneymaker, don't go away from that. Try to put processes in place that will help you get there. Maybe you can get the product, you know, when you look at your supply chain, right? When, when you're individual, is there a way that you can get things pre-finished even? So if you're selling that much, and I know it's handmade, but does it make sense to buy a prefab base? Does it make sense to sub that out to somebody? Does it make sense to sub out the finishing? You can start looking at these things that you can become more efficient and you might take a little bit of hit um, from a profit standpoint, right? Because if you if you pay for somebody to finish, uh, you know, it's going to cost you more than and you have to do that time versus labor uh, or cost versus labor of your own time per item. Yeah, per item. But then you can sell twice as many. Right. So you're not instead of you spending the two days applying your top coat, you're now building another base. So I think that's a really uh, a really great way to sit back and think about if you have that that like whatever your all star product is, everybody's got one or two products that are like your best seller Mm -hmm. uh, and you probably have a waiting list. So what can you do to be more efficient to pump those out? Uh, without grinding yourself down to the bone, doing it, you know, just you physically just going faster and making more and spending more time on that individual product. How can you be more efficient there? How can you sub some stumps out? How can you outsource? I think outsourcing, John, I know, like, I really, I've been thinking about it. We really need to do an episode on on outsourcing because I think that's just a powerful thing that I am horrible at. <laughs> I, I talked about it before, the, you know, I got the Superman syndrome where I want to do everything myself. And I think there's, so many opportunities, especially in the digital space, um, you know, that outsourcing can just help you be more efficient and help you, uh, you know, narrow down on that 20 percent, but also do other things. For sure. Oh, no doubt. And and that's business. You know, it, business is outsourcing. You can't do it all. Um, you need to be focusing on what you're good at and and take that. And, and you know, Steve Jobs wasn't physically building Apple II's. When they created Apple, you know, he he wasn't he was the guy selling it. He was the the brainchild. He was the, the big picture guy. That's what he focused on. That's what made him uh, a great business role model. So what the what's beautiful about the 80 20 concept is in order to get to where you know what you're good at, you have to do the 80 20 evaluation or the, any type of self-evaluation to realize, you know, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and then focus on creating the 
I guess, the best opportunity for your strengths to win or creating processes. Um, back to your table example, if you're if you're hammering out a dining table that's in maybe two styles and two finishes, create processes in which you physically no longer have to produce those. You can either hire somebody or outsource them in order to be able to supplement the portfolio by creating new inventive designs or going and selling that product to more retailers, wholesalers, whatever you want to direction you want to take that business. The 80-20 lets you evaluate and create better processes, which is what being a CEO and an owner of a business is. When, you, when you're at that high level and you start to realize how hiring works and how you know big business actually functions, the top level people are creating processes in which they allow others to succeed. That is a completely mis, I guess, misconstrued, would that be the word, concept that a lot of us don't want to uh, realize. You know, we all want to do it ourselves. I'm you, you and I are in that same boat. I still want to f- take my own photographs. I still want to do my own video. I still want to manage my own website. But a lot of people that do similar stuff to us outsource a lot of this. And why is right. that? It's because doing the 80, 20 evaluation, they realize I am great at producing the content. I'm not good at en- editing, finishing and uh, posting the content. And, you know, so right. those are things that you're able to realize with the 80, 20 evaluation. For my own personal sake, uh, that's why I don't sell cutting boards all year long. You know, a lot of people make a lot of money in their business selling uh, small goods like cutting boards, for instance. And I've done, you know, thousands of dollars in cutting board sales. But I realized that for me to produce a dining table and a cutting board at the same time, my focus needs to be on what's making me more money, which is the dining table. You know, I I can make cutting boards like lightning now because of how many I've done and, and my shop setup, but you stay away from it if it's something that's not making you as much money as other parts. But does that mean I throw it away and don't do it? No, I still realize that there's times of year when that's a profitable aspect of my business and that there's also, you know, the waste component of if I take an afternoon to make a dozen cutting boards out of scrap materials, I can sell those and make money over the course of the, of the year, but I don't have to do, I don't have to do $300 one off cutting board builds anymore. I'd rather do one dining table build. Um, and, and I was able to focus into that because I realized where my income was coming from. And that was from the bigger projects. A lot of us will start to see as our businesses keep growing that you're going to do small good, small good, small good. And then boom, a client's going to come along. That's going to want something large built in something in that one to $2,000 range that your eyes explode out of your head. And you're like, Oh my God, I've never, I've never bid a project this high. And you'll realize like, Oh, this felt great. This is awesome. You know, and you'll take that project, market it well, and then grab two more. And then that $1,000 turn into four. And you'll realize, Oh, I don't have to sell a cutting board for 80 bucks on Etsy anymore. I can actually do built-ins for a living. And you're, and you'll see, you naturally get there, but if you realize it in your head at first, you can focus on those things that are at the high end that are actually making you a lot of money. Right. Um, and then and, the, I, I like that client though too. So it, it playing that out though, like that same client that you did the built-in for, for two grand is I think what, what you can also find is that then they'll go, wow, you did a great job. Like I'm also looking for a dining table. Yes. And then boom. And then, oh, you know what? Actually, my friend are, you know, so either for them or directly out of them, you can get that. And I think that, you know, playing this back to the clients. Right. So uh, yep. and, and I'll play it from a from a sponsor thing here in just a second. But uh, I think there's also a lot of value. And I, and I remember so in in business school, I I don't remember what the exact rates were, but something like, you know, new client acquisition 
is so much more expensive than maintaining a current client. Yeah. So when you can find those clients that you know are easy to work with, they're great payers, you know, they're never they're not late, like they're going to pay you up front, they're easy, you know, they're not nitpicking everything, they're not fa- sending you an email every 2 days asking you where things are, like you latch on to that client, you know, like an eagle's talon. You just <laughs> you that is like, I think that's a great example of that is somebody you want to delight. That's somebody that you want, like, and, you know, you have to get the feel for it. But, like, if you get somebody that comes for a second piece, man, you got to go out of your way to really make sure that um, you're serving their needs. You're doing a great bang up job for them, because what's going to happen is that that is going to be you, you just you've greased the skids. You've got a return client. And you don't have to spend all that time, like you said, John, you know, answering the email. And even if you're doing a good job of screening them on the front end, you've still got to vet them. You don't know if they're going to pay. You don't know if that check's going to bounce or not. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when you get to their house if, you know, they told you the wrong dimensions and you can't get it in the door because they said they had a 36 inch door and, you know, it's a 28 inch door, whatever. I, I think that that's a really important principle there, too, that can that can come out of this. Um and yeah. from a from a content perspective, from, so from a sponsor, I went back and looked. I've been right, so I'll have some sponsored deals, and uh, you know, somebody will send me an email. Hey, we're interested in doing some work. Okay, great. I'll throw it out there, and they'll say that's awesome, sounds great. Let's go. And I'm like, oh yes, let's do this. And and so like that's one example where I literally might wrap up a deal in like four emails. I have another one. I was just looking. You see on Gmail, it like tells you how many emails. I oh. am on email 70. 70 e- on the same thread. <laughs> on the same thread of back and forth for, you know, for something that should not have been 70 emails. Yes. And so when I look at the time invested, um, you know, that that's probably not somebody that I'm going to be like super excited to go work with. Like I'm going to be go seeking out that four email client and saying, Hey, what else do you guys need? Like, how can I help you? And I'm probably going to give them a better rate, honestly, because because it's it's not necessarily a better rate. It's it's you know comparative and and consistent with the time I have to invest. So when you invest less time, when you have to spend less time holding somebody's hand or dealing with the back and forth, you can give them a better price because you're literally spending less time and you can use your time to make other money. So you know, I think those are just some really cool principles coming out of it that when you start really thinking about this is that the less amount of effort you have to put into something to get the most amount of money is always the best way to go. And you, you've got to, you've got to nourish that and you've got to help, um, you know, keep those clients and keep those sponsors on your side. Yes, you absolutely nailed it. And now we're going to jump into a a segment called John's book recommendation. But no, I so there's an amazing book out there. It's called The Pumpkin Plan um, by Mike McCallowitz. And it's literally exactly what you just said, Brad, to a T almost. It is the 80-20 rule in application focusing on clients, but 
it's very applicable to the sponsored concept and what you said. I'm, I'm super fired up that you just brought this up because I was looking for a segue in the conversation and, <laughs> and, and, and you nailed it. You know, what happens to a lot of us is, is we'll build this awesome client base and, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of people. We're doing a lot of interesting and fun stuff. Business starts growing, expanding. You're doing a bunch of crazy, crazy projects that, you know, you think are wonderful and you're getting pulled in a thousand directions. Money's coming in. You're not worrying about anything except for the fact that you have no life. You haven't slept in three and a half weeks. You know, uh, you're, you, you sleep in your car and your, your shop hasn't been cleaned, um, in a month, you know, like that stuff happens when you're getting pulled in a thousand directions. What the book talks about and basically what Brad just talked about is it's when things start to get out of hand, you really have to hone in on what your where your focus needs to be. You need to do this 80-20 evaluation and see, you know, what, what's my what is the 20% that I should be focusing on? All of us deal with clients that are paying the butt. I mean, it's it's human nature, it happens. Um, you deal with it and, and you move on. So from the, the, the sake of the book, what, what they talk about is, you know, for a lot of business models, you'll have long-term clientele. You'll have clients under contract, you know, a.k.a. Brad and, and talking about sponsorships. You know, a lot of those are contractual for long periods of time. But you'll have these interactions with a client or someone purchasing or paying you for your service. And um, you'll have the ones that are fantastic to work with. They hand over the project, <laughs> hand over the project four emails later. You, they give you the reins, you show up at their door, they laugh, smile, tell all their friends, and then they buy something else. Like Those are the clients, the ideal client yeah, we all want. That's gold. So the 80-20 principle is focusing on that 20% of clientele. You want to eliminate the opportunity for clients that don't fit that mold. That way they're not distracting you from what actually help. One, makes you money, and two, makes you happy. Um, because that's where a lot of unnecessary stress happens. I have a few clients right now whom I adore and have done a lot of work for financially that I realize I do no longer, I no longer need to be working with. Um, they pull me in way too many directions and they just want way, way more value of, they want way more out of my time than what they pay me for. One, two, just the unnecessary stressors that go along with it are things that I need to eliminate. And I, and I realize that. And I think that the concept of the 80, 20, when it comes to your clientele, um, is the best application of the rule from the definition of, of Prado's law. Yeah, from our um, product, yep. Exactly. So you're, what the Pumpkin Plan does, and it's an awesome book, and I, and I highly recommend it. Mike, Mike Michalowicz is is pretty pretty good business mind. Um, he's got some good stuff, and, and we'll have links to that for you guys in the, in the show notes and, and, and on madeforprofit.com. Um, but you, you, you look at the people you love working for, the repeat clients, the ones that are coming back for awesome – uh, creative projects that, you know, you know, their style, their color, very easy to work for. That's the type of client you need to be focusing on. Um, and staying away from someone who's asking you to do, you know, the one-off little project that might, might be easy and it'll make you a couple bucks. Um, but you don't really need that in your portfolio anymore. You know, you'd rather be focusing on your clients that make you make you good money, that build long-term relationships, instead of taking on a cutting board, a pen, you know, a, 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 a box for whatever little thing here. You know, go focus on that, that person that's bought kitchen cabinets, a dining table, a coffee table, end tables, sofa table, like those type of clients. Um, I think that is the best way to use the 80-20 rule. Yeah, yeah. I think you can also apply it to, um, you know, some of your, your platforms of selling too, and where you want to put your effort. So as I think about, um, you know, different ways that you can sell your product from a product perspective, 
uh, you know, you can go to craft shows. You can sell online. You can sell word of mouth. You can sell Facebook. You can sell Craigslist. I mean, there's all these different ways that you can sell. I think you should also evaluate that. Like, you know, what is the, which one of those do you get the most sales out of uh, for the least amount of effort? Because maybe one of those, maybe, um, you know, may, and, and, and somebody actually would just mention they, uh, they, they shot a thing about Amazon handmade. So they were, you know, saying, hey, you guys never talk about Amazon handmade. I don't know a lot about that. But, you know, Amazon obviously has a huge customer base. Uh, and I know Amazon does um, some fulfilled by Amazon things where uh, you can send in products to their warehouse. I don't know if they do that on the handmade side. Probably not. But uh, you can send products in. But what will. So taking that as an example, you send it in, you pay a larger commission because they charge you basically to store and to use their warehouse space. So they will charge you. I'm just going to make stuff up here. So it's saying instead of selling and. 8% on Etsy, they would charge you 15 or 20%. Uh, but the thing is, is that it is fulfilled by Amazon. You ship to Amazon, you're done. They take care of all the customer service. They they take care of everything. Again, I don't know if they do this on the handmade side, but I have a friend that sells stuff on, on Amazon. Uh, they don't have to deal with any of those emails back and forth, anything uh, regarding fulfillment of orders. And so maybe that's a small thing for you. So maybe, uh, maybe Etsy is your thing. Maybe Etsy is the easiest for you. And it's, it's really easy to ship out of versus going to the craft show, setting up your booth, getting all of the signs up and, and getting your business card, all of those things that go into a craft show. And then you look at it and you're like, wow, I made a thousand bucks, but I just spent three weeks preparing <laughs> for this and like, you know, renting a U-Haul and, and doing whatever. Um, and so maybe that Etsy sales is a small portion of it. But maybe maybe that's where you need to grow it. So when you look at the 80-20, don't get lulled in also to that, oh, I make most of my money from craft shows. Well, how much time are you investing to get that money also? So you, you, have, to, you have to do it two ways, right? Because if there's something that you make a lot of money at per time invested, but it's still a small amount, figure out how do you grow that? How do yep. you grow that? Maybe if you're doing Etsy, maybe you take an ad out. Maybe you do a Google ad. Maybe you pay for a Facebook ad. And that you try to get traffic there. So think about, okay, this is how I am most efficient. This is how I can make a dollar the easiest. And now, how do I get people there? Yeah, I think that's extremely important because a lot of us will get really wide. We'll, we'll, we'll throw the tentacles out there and, you know, we'll want to be on 16 different sales channels, want to be at all these places and shows. And I talk to a lot of local local furniture makers and I'm constantly asking, you know, how'd your last show go? How'd your last show go? Because I see these guys physically going and setting up shop and selling at shows. I've never done one. And my curiosity, you know, and when I talk to them, it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's hit or miss. I'll go to a show, I'll do six grand and I'll go to a show and it'll cost me three grand. And I'm like, hmm, so you're netting, you know, $3,000 to drive to the other side of Ohio three times a year. Is that really worth your time? And it's exactly what Brad said. There's going to be instances in where you're putting a lot of time and effort into hoping that it works out um, when you should be putting that time and effort into things that you know work out. If Etsy is an easy sales channel for you and you're getting great, you know, uh, great customer feedback, one, two, it's easy for you to um, handle all of the processes that go into it. You know, that might be something more worth your time, even though the number might not be as high on how much you're making, but the process itself is much more efficient Take that three thousand dollars you're spending on traveling around the shows. Focus it on Etsy or whatever channel that might be on the other side, and then hammer it home. You know, uh, 
Google AdWords is a great way to, to invest. You know, we're not experts in that, but there's uh, there's multiple ways to drive traffic. There's multiple ways to get new eyeballs on your stuff. You know, print advertising is something that we don't talk a lot about here, but it's definitely still got legs, and especially in local markets. And, you know, maybe it's maybe you take some money and put it into the n- local newspaper and or you go and print out flyers and go and hand them out to all the local design companies in your area. Like there's thousands of ways to 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 grow and expand your business. Don't get focused in on one thing that worked once because that's where I think a lot of people fall is you go to a show, you make a thousand dollars. Oh my God, I'm going to every single show ever. <laughs> and then net over time, you know, you're actually losing money. Um, but because of that one big sale, that was now the whole process has become a pain. Um, so I think that, you know, the sales channel concept is something that uh, definitely you can apply to 80-20. And, and I think as you see in this like whole episode, you can almost put it to anything. Like, <laughs> I mean, we, I know self-evaluation is something that that in our in our interview with Ben, he talked about a lot. Brad and myself constantly talk about, um, you know, I, I say it all the time, like, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. And I'm humble enough to do that. Um, the 80 20 is, is a, you really have to take ownership and like hone in on what you're good at and what you're not. Um, and then be able to execute on it. And I think that's uh, a a massive step as growing as a business owner, um, is being able to self-evaluate. So why don't, why don't we kind of wrap it up and bring it home with, um, I I like that idea and, and we've kind of teased around it and you hit on, on it a little bit earlier, but of, um, growing and, taking that chance and making sure that you're continuing to work, uh, you know, outside of what you're comfortable with, because, uh, as good as the self-evaluation is, and you want to focus on what's good, um, there's a ceiling, there's Mm -hmm. a ceiling somewhere, uh, you know, and and then you have to break through that. You're going to hit a plateau and you need to break through that either by making new connections, uh, getting new processes or just learning new skills. Um, so, I mean, do you use like when you do your evaluation, John, and I, I've honestly, I don't use it, but I've heard people, uh, you know, talk about, well, I will invest like for R&D or anything specifically. Like when I look at the amount of time I have to commit to the things that I want to do, I will set aside 10% of my time or 5% or whatever that number is to look at new things to, uh, you know, try to, to find a new skill or a new product or whatever and grow that. Do you physically plan that out or is that something that just kind of happens along the way? Um, I think that that's exactly what my content business is. You know, we've watched it grow for the past year. Um, and we're now starting to see some, some great results, but what it was at the beginning essentially was me taking an hour or two a week to edit photograph, edit video, post video, and start slowly progressing that business to where it could become something more long-term. Um, Taking, you know, five to ten percent, I think, is a good, a, a good, uh, a good percentage to use when you're doing something like this. You know, if you're talking from a forty-hour work week, which is, <laughs> which is comical. What's that? Uh, yeah. I, I remember um, those. I remember those, John. Those yeah, were nice. You, yeah, you now, take, you know, you you take <laughs> two to four hours a week and put that aside for for new business growth. Um, one thing I've been doing this with now in in is uh, new product development. I've been setting aside, you know, 15 to 25 minutes a day on researching uh, new styles. I, I really want to become uh, a better modern furniture builder or start trying to use that styling more. So I've been studying it, you know, jotting down notes, uh, going over, um, you know, whatever blogs or Pinterest boards or whatever I'm finding to just try and uh, get my mind uh, uh 
thinking more in that direction. But that's time I allot to know, you know, to work on new stuff. Now, am I selling a lot of that right now? No. But that doesn't mean that I'm just completely ignoring it. I'm hammering it home. I think what's interesting is if you look at the Amazon model from where they started out at the beginning into the monster that they've become now, Amazon started out selling books and they became the most efficient and best bookseller on the planet and then stepped into the next market and then they stepped into the next market and then they stepped into the next market. And if you look at that, you do exactly what we talked about earlier. You find what you're good at. You become as absolutely good as you possibly can at it while working on other things and then create processes in which that can become self-sustaining and then step into the next part, which is something that you've been consistently working on throughout. And I think the pumpkin plan touches on that too. So um, yeah, definitely setting time aside to grow. Um, we're huge advocates for that. I know both you and I do this um, just naturally through our conversations, uh, but it, it's something where we're each stimulating in each other in conversation. Um, and, and we're fortunate to have to have that. We do it a lot with our patrons too. You know, we'll have ideas and when we want to work on something, we'll ask them and get great feedback. I mean, that's, that's a small step in that direction. And a lot of people don't realize it is like, that's working on your business. It might not be like extremely targeted, but brainstorming, um, you know, doing a creative, uh, uh, creative thought, you know, that's stuff that can go into the future of your business as long as you have some sort of direction to go with it. Um, so definitely a fan of the, of the setting side, you know, a percentage of your time for growth. Yeah, and I think an important thing there is is to also keep track of what you're investing and um you know this is probably a whole episode but uh you know knowing when to to cut it, right? So some people might be investing that time in let's just say, you know, a YouTube channel. Um you know at some point like maybe that's not the best uh, you know, the best use of your time. And so, uh, you know, I think, I, you know, I think we're both firm believers in basically just banging our heads against the wall <laughs> yes. and just plowing through it brick by brick uh, until it, you know, we break on the other side, even though we might be bloody. Um, it, it, but I think also that, you know, if you're in something and you're, you're going at it and you're testing it out is, um, you know, there's, there's a long lead on a lot of things. Uh, you know, maybe YouTube's not a great model because I, I think that, I really do. I think anybody can be successful in YouTube, honestly, with, uh, you know, the right consistency. And as far as just, you know, being able to being able to, you know, model what's already successful. But if you're trying out something new, if you're doing like a new product, you're like, oh, I think this is going to be great. And you start spending that time, you start developing it. And then it's like, oh, well, this isn't selling at all. Um, So if you're like if you're way out there on the fringe trying to do something that other people have not done before, uh, you know, you also got to know that when you're putting in too much time. So make sure that you're that you're using, like John mentioned, the pay, outside resources, whether it's, a, you know, like a, a focus group, basically. Right. Like, hey, is this interesting? Like, would you be interested in buying this? Like, do you know, people like what do you think about this uh, and being able to hone your skills? Because if you go and you're you're investing all your time in a bubble, you're going to come out on the other end with a product that nobody wants to buy. Mm-hmm. possibly right <laughs> yes. and then and then you've you've just spent a whole lot of time and effort in something that is amazing in your mind um but's missing the mark in other areas and e- and even not maybe you might come off the other end and have something that's halfway decent whereas if you had got input along the way it could have been awesome uh so i think that's a really important thing you hit on there john as far as getting soliciting external feedback and advice um on these new ventures that you're doing 
And when you're spending the time, some of that five to 10% should not only be you personally, but should be you talking to other people about that idea, about that skill, about that product, whatever. Yeah. Uh, outside feedback is, is something that I'm always going to be looking for. It's something that I naturally do because I'm, I'm a team sport guy. I think both of us are, are, are good at that. You know, we'll, we'll constantly be asking around um, with, with all our humility for input on new ideas and stuff. Um, I think what's important there is that you use what we said as a, um, using a percentage of your time to focus on growth um, is, is where that becomes hugely important. What happens a ton is a lot of us will come up with something that we think is going to, you know, change the world. We're reinventing the wheel here, right? And you put all your effort into it, and you get behind it, and you drop everything else that you're doing. Um, you jump into it full bore, like like you just stated, and you come out the other side. You didn't take the time to actually develop the processes. You didn't take the time to actually develop the product. You didn't take the time to get feedback. You didn't take the time to test the market. All you did was just boom, rammed it right in the head. You crushed it. Now you're on the other side, like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? Um, that happens mm-hmm. a lot. You know, a lot of us will be in the shop, we'll get inspired, we'll build something, we'll think it's amazing, and then realize it's literally not. Um, so, what you what you need to do is a lot time over time to do that, and that's where you'll actually develop the product properly, or whatever you're trying to do to develop properly, and let it grow to what it's going to be. You know, uh, YouTube is a great example. If you go back to it, you might think you're going to start out doing build tutorial videos. And they're actually just not hitting home, but you'll throw something else out there that you've been working on, maybe something a little more cinematic, a little more entertaining, and boom, that takes off for you. And then you realize, you know, from an 80-20 valuation, hmm, I should be focusing on what's actually right. working and what people want to exactly. see. And then you start developing more of that. But if you would have just said, you know, no, I'm bang out 10 instructional videos and then they bomb and then you quit, you know, that's not really um, the way we're, we're advocating development with the growth stuff. So I we're firm believers in setting aside small amounts of time over time to develop things and not rushing into it. We run into it all the time with made for profit because we get super fired up. We want to make something happen right now. But then we realize like, (laughs) oh, we got to get input on this, get feedback. And, you know, we should probably look back and make some changes. So when you're looking at the growth is a a huge part of your your life and your business. Um, Definitely something you want to be focusing on. Um, But you don't have to grow right now. It can you want to grow over time. Um, You know, it's it's stage into it. Yes. And and stage into it. And don't take away your focus on the things that it's where it should be, you know, to just do something new right now. So uh, great point there. I think that's a great takeaway. Like, I think that's a great one. So why don't you hit them with some, like, what, what are those, what are those couple things that I should be thinking about after this episode? So after this episode, what I would love for all of you to do is be thinking about what's driving your business and the money that you're making in your business. Number one question, the whole concept of the 80-20 is, is to do exactly that. Um, your, your second takeaway is what things are you doing that you're not good at and what are you good at? Uh, very along the same lines, similarly to to, to your first takeaway. Um, third, I'm going to say, when using the 80-20 evaluation, make sure that you're implementing it across the board, implementing it with your time, your products, your client book, as well as your sales channels. Don't get don't just add it to one part of your life. Make sure that you're applying it across the board. And then lastly, uh, we'll go hammer back with the growth part. Uh, you know, growing is a large part of your business. Make sure that you're designating five to ten percent of your time um, allotment to your growth process, and you're not just jumping all in immediately at once. Um, it's a long play. Brad and I will always tell you, business is a long play. If you want to win right now, um, and that's your only only option, um, 
sorry, because <laughs> it's going to be really hard for you. Um, it's a long play, uh, and, and growth is definitely one of those things that you've got to realize it's going to take some time. Yeah, it takes that. One of the best, and I don't know whose book it is, but Get Rich Slow. That's just like yeah. the best title ever. That's, that's it, great. That is a great title. Um, so, yeah, so so I'm going to slam you back. We're going to hit some back on the homework side uh, because I think this is a really – meaty easy thing to do hopefully uh hopefully you've got your your data somewhere in excel calibri 11 uh preferably but uh i'm going to give you the homework of of going and evaluating doing the 80 20 rule so go back and i want you to look at the last 12 months or year to date 2017 whatever you want and go back and look at exactly what john just said so look at for the money um if you've got it uh so we'll start easy we'll start with product Go ahead and list out every single sale you had and, and look at it from a money perspective first. So for all your products, how much money did you make off each one? List them out and look at that. You know, what are those things that are glaring up at the top from a product perspective? Um, then from a client perspective, same thing. Go back, look at the clients. Uh, and if you're mainly a small seller, you know, that, that might not play as much uh, because you're just going to have a ton of sellers. But go ahead and do that anyway. Again, how many? what are those clients that are giving the most amount of money? Uh, sales channel, like John mentioned. So where are you selling and how is that giving you the most money? And then this one will be the extra credit homework. Uh, if you do have your times, if you know how much time it takes you for these products, uh, then go back and look at that and say, okay, for each specific product and then relate the hours to the time. So how many hours did it take to make me this money? I think going through and really looking at these, I think hopefully it's going to open your eyes. If you've never done it before, it's absolutely going to open your eyes. Uh, something that, you know, you maybe you're spending a lot of time on in uh, it's not really paying off. So I think this will be a great exercise for you guys to start understanding your business a little bit better and figure out, you know, where you should be putting your time. So this is this is great, man. I, I love it. I think that uh, this is really going to hit home with some folks because I, I know that it's a concept that not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, the more we keep growing and developing here with Made for Profit, we're doing this constantly. So I'm excited to hear some feedback, too. If you guys are already doing some something uh, along the lines of the 80-20, let us know. Um, we love getting your feedback and comments. Um, hit us up on Instagram. Uh, we're Actually, I'm just going to say it. Brad absolutely dominates the uh the dms and and, and ha- hammers <laughs> home in there i apologize i'm trying to get better i'm <laughs> it's a it's a process but we love getting um all of your comments and feedback on instagram um and then you know we, we still get some emails here and then our patrons absolutely crush it we love you guys always giving us some great uh great insight but if you're using something similar to the 80 20 let us know what's working let us know what's not Absolutely. And speaking of our patrons, we're going to jump into our patron after show. Uh, we had a, a, a lot of interest in an interest in the Pinterest. We have the Pinterest interest going on out there. Pinterest uh, and, so, <laughs> and so we had some follow on questions. So we're going to dive deep into some of those questions. Uh, if you would like to be part of that after show and get access to that um, and submit questions to that, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And join our MFP patron tribe. Um, and we're actually doing some really exciting things over there, which we'll be talking about uh, more here in the future. So we're going to go ahead and knock that out. What do you say, John? Good episode, my man. Yeah, awesome. I say we um, stop jabbing and go hit him with that right hook as we continue to punch this episode in the face. <laughs> Always punching faces. All right, guys, <laughs> we'll catch you in the next episode. 
So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode.